witch cake has the urine of the afflicted girls baked into the cake. Then the cake is fed to a hog, and then you watch the hog for some more divination. Or, or the hog's digestive system is supposed to like purify them. Hard to say. It's also the recipe for matzah, by the way. <laughs> History, I'd like to follow me. And welcome to Hilf History. I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. <laughs> this witch. <laughs> I knew someone would choose this in my first season. I knew it, and I'm so glad. Who doesn't want to get tits deep in the history of the Salem witch trials? <laughs> now, they're not the only witch trials that ever were, of course. Europe really took the gold with history's most torturous and prolific witch hunting. But there was something about what happened in Salem, Massachusetts, that one year of accusation, madness, and murder that seems to spellbind us still. Before we jump in, though, some exciting news. We've got merch! Yes, it's here! The koozie you've always wanted. It keeps your beverage cold while letting the world know you're hot for history. <laughs> so go take a look at them on our Instagram page, at Hilf Podcast, and from there, find the link tree to all things Hilf. Tickets to live recordings. Our first one is coming up on May 26th in Glendale, California. Rate and review our podcast, would you please? And get yourself the koozie of your dreams. <laughs> but first, my guest today is comedian and Boston native Alex Malt. We've performed comedy together several times over the years, and he is a delight. He grew up very near the city of Salem, but had a sort of general ambivalence to all the witchy stuff and admits he knows next to nothing about the history. <laughs> you know how much Mama loves a virgin. So, pull your chair up a little closer to the cauldron. It's the hilth of the Salem Witch Trials. Let's get started. Alex Malt, you are a stand-up comedian. I am. You are my buddy. I am. And one of the things that will always keep a place for you in my heart is that after the worst of COVID, mm -hmm. people are vaccinated, things were happening outside. I did my first ever back in person live comedy with you. We did a backyard show in Hollywood. Do you remember that? Yeah, backyard shows are super fun. Those are so fun. I had never so done I hadn't done one before that. I mean, you know, just those like pop up, somebody had a sound system, a bunch of folding chairs. There were like what, twenty five people there? Yeah. 25, 30, something like that. But just, you know, everyone was ready to laugh at that point. Oh, my God. And it was kind of like a kegger in the garage and stuff. Yeah. How long have you been doing comedy? Uh, I've been writing comedy for ooh, 12 years now, I think. Mm -hmm. I've been saying I've been out here a decade for at least two years now. So I think that would put me right at about 12 years of that. And then I've been... Uh, Doing stand-up comedy for the last six or seven years. And you have been doing great. As we were setting up the equipment, you said that you are driving from here, from my house. You were going to the World Series of Comedy in Las Vegas. Yeah, I'm headed to Vegas. Uh was just in Arizona, going to be in Sarasota, Florida, Boston. Uh, so starting to travel. I travel love that, around, man. So and if exciting. I'm not mistaken, I took a look at your website. You're going to fucking Cabo, man? Yeah, I'm doing Cabo May 6th and 7th. How did that happen? 
Uh, literally the magic of Instagram. I saw, saw one of the comedy clubs is like, we're opening a club in Cabo if any comedians want to do it. And I was like, yeah, I will do Cabo. Thank you. So, <laughs> so the comedy's paying my plane ticket down there. And Fucking I'll A. Take it. That's, see, that's such a good idea. Just like take the world map. Stick your stick your pins and where you want to go, and then look up a comedy club there. That's yeah. a great suck it destination wedding. I'm doing destination comedy shows. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> if somebody wants to get married, that's their fucking business. I'm just there to tell jokes. Um, what brought you to stand up? Ah, I've always loved stand up. Uh, it's a, one of those things that's been escaped from me since I was super young. I got my first fake ID in order to sneak into comedy clubs, which is super nice. Always figured one day I would drunkenly get on stage uh-huh. and just be a sensation. Uh, and only succeeded in the drunken part of that. But uh, <laughs> went to rehab, uh, was out on a Thursday in a stand-up class on a Monday. Hey. And, uh, yeah. Who was the comedian that first brought you in or that attracted your comedic sensibilities? Uh, Dana, and I could not be farther from him as a comedian, but Dana Carvey. When I was little, I loved Dana Carvey. Come on, Garth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And just, uh, I don't know, you know, when you're little, impressions are the funniest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a master of that, yeah. goofy faces and everything, you know. Yeah. I just remember he had a bit about his kids doing naked time. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Just... <laughs> the very first show I did on stage was at West Side Comedy and Who Should Walk Into the Green Room but Dana Carvey. No so, shit. <laughs> my first show, I How quote, did you unquote, handle it? How did you handle Dana Carvey. Oh, I played it cool. <laughs> I think. You think? Oh, <laughs> Maybe I'm so I didn't. glad. I mean, it's but, good that at least you think you did, whether you did or not, because, man, meeting your heroes can be a real harrowing experience. I often, when I talk to a guest about being uh, on the show, yeah. sometimes I have to give them a couple of prompts. Well, you know, some possible subjects that maybe you'd be interested in. Sometimes my guests come to me right away like, this is the thing I want to do. You came back really fast with Witch Trials. Can you tell me what it is about this history subject that gets you so... Yeah, I think I gave you three things. I did Mary Shelley, which the f- uh-huh. was like your first episode, first I guess. Episode. That's right, that's right. And then I did Cabeza de Vaca, which I guess you had just talked about as well. And then, uh, yeah, Salem Witch Trials, because I'm from Boston, so I thought that would be good. And then it's one of those things, like, I imagine if you live in Orlando, you don't go to Disney World that often. That, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, Salem, it's half an hour away from you. You must have gone there all the time. And, like, I've been there, I think, but I don't... I honestly don't know a ton about it because you know it's like you didn't it's take one any those... like school field trips out there. Your we, English uh, class, your history class, nothing. We we did like the old timey village. I think it was called Sturbridge Village, which was one of those places where everyone pretended that they were like living back in colonial times, like reenactors, and like. Uh-huh. You just did not appreciate it as a fourth grader, no. and your whole goal was to get them to admit that cell phones existed. You know, because <laughs> <And did> they <laughs> they'd have like, to yeah. pretend that, like, what is this cell phone you speak of? Oh, and you're no. like, oh, come on, dude, you know what a cell phone is, oh. like. And they'd be like, we're just here to show yeah. you how to turn butter without yeah. making you do jerk off motions. <laughs> like that's a full time <laughs> job for a reenactor. Salem, you know, it's like one of those places. It's super close to me, right? But like everyone has a weird relationship to it. So you have people that show up and like they've just heard the like folk tale and they want to talk about like witches with pointy hat, you know, like the full uh-huh. fairy tale version. Yeah. And then you have, uh, you know, like people with, you know, there's like, I know there's ergot theories and, you know, there's other things yep. out there. So it's one of those things where it gets talked at you when uh-huh. you're from Boston enough that you disengage from it. And, you know, because no one has the same that. relationship to it. So I'm excited to learn the 
the facts. Oh, girl, I think you're gonna go home this year for Thanksgiving, and you're gonna you're gonna wear the T-shirt. Like, ask me about Salem, <laughs> and you're gonna be very. <laughs> this is gonna change. I think a lot of things for you. Awesome. It was it was a joy. I have to tell you because I didn't know a lot of the details. I knew some of the broad strokes. I remember researching certain elements of this in like my freshman year of college, mm-hmm. and so some of these names came back as a little familiar to me. But I had to start from scratch, and it was a delight. I have two books this time. Awesome. The first one is called Death in Salem by Diane E. Folds. And this book, Alex, was so great because it's just personal profiles of the people involved. So you get a little bit of the timeline, you get a little bit of the history, but it focuses entirely on the individuals. So like one or two pages focusing on the accusers, the victims, the judges, the clergy, and it's super, super fascinating and was a great companion to the second book I read, which you can see is kind of a tome. It's huge. (laughs) It's called The Salem Witch Trials, A Day-by-Day Chronicle of a Community Under Siege by Marilyn K. Roach. This book yikes it's like ken burns documentary in book form girl yes it is it's a it is a day by day i have full disclosure i did not read every page of this book because what i did is i would reference this day by day chronicle from the first book ah, so cool. if this one started talking about this this victim that i thought was particularly interesting i could bounce back over to this other book and learn more about her engagement with the individuals on the days in which she was tried that's fun and it was really that's fun cool. very cool super illuminating i had a blast Okay, so the Salem Witch Trials. First of all, Salem, it's about 25, 30 miles north of Boston. Mm -hmm. And at the time that we're talking about, the late 1600s, is all part of Massachusetts Bay Colony, of course, under the rule of Mother England. Um, And so the year we're talking about, the Salem Witch Trials took place just over one year, from 1692 to 1693. So for context, that's 200 years after Columbus sailed the ocean blue Mm -hmm. and about 100 years before the signing of the U.S. Constitution. So like George Washington's proximity to the Salem witch trials was almost identical to my proximity to World War II. All right. So you might have known people who were around, but it was, Mm -hmm. it's already ancient history. The world has changed 10 times. You were lucky if they lived that long (laughs) back then. That's right. Uh, Here are the statistics. For this one year span of time, from 1692 to 1693, within the city of Salem, 200 people were accused of being witches. 30 were found guilty. 20 were executed. Of those 20, 19 were hanged, Ooh. and one was pressed to death. Pressed? Mm, we'll get to him. She got the wine treatment. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was really juicy. Which wine? Very juicy. <laughs> Very um, and then seven-ish uh, died in jail because jail was BAD. I already I already thought it was like six, so we're, we're already witchier than I thought it was. Way witchier than you thought. Yeah, 20 people were executed. Um, by 1697... The Massachusetts Bay Colony was apologizing Mm. for how fucked that whole business in Salem was. Like, people at the time were like, this is batshit crazy. And we're quickly trying to, like, put a stop to it. And you know how batshit crazy something has to be for the official government to apologize for it in four years? Yeah. (laughs) Now, some of the who's of the Salem witch trials, there were, give or take, 70 accusers. That includes people who were like pointing fingers and people who were just eyewitnesses Mm -hmm. to the account, okay? And they included old, young men and women, but they were 
largely the accusers were young women in their teens and early 20s. Um, I told you there were 200 people accused. Those included old, young, man, woman, but were predominantly older women were the victims. And um, there were nine judges and hundreds of observers. Okay. So these are the people of all the things though, that all those people were, they were all of them. Puritans. Mm. Mm. Puritans, these poor fucks. I mean, they left England because of persecution, because they weren't allowed to freely practice this batshit religion. <laughs> they which weren't is allowed fine. to freely practice the most restrictive religion. <laughs> yeah, and it's really wild because, like, on the one hand, of course, any Protestant religion is sort of rebellious by nature. It has mm-hmm. already sort of rejected the structure and the and the boundaries and the tenets of Catholicism. Their ministers, for example, married, remarried, and had lots of kids, but... <laughs> In other ways, they just fully restrict. I mean, your religion has to be pretty gnarly for the Catholic Church to be like, y'all pump the brakes and let people <laughs> live a little. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was a mess. One of the things that makes it really interesting that everybody, the accusers, the victims, those executed, the judges, because they were all Puritans from the same town is one of the many, many things that makes the Salem witch trials so fascinating because it's not white versus black, rich versus poor, uh, nationalist versus new immigrants. It's this real incestuous persecution. Mm -hmm. Highly respected ministers were executed. Upstanding mothers and grandmothers who were high ranking in the church were executed. And bums and toothless bums and people that, that were found undesirable. But it was just this, among the things we, we ask when we look back on this, is like, what the fuck is that? It makes us super, super fascinated. So here's my plan. Okay. Alex Maltz. Here's what it. we're going to do. I'm going to tell you the basic story of the Salem witch trials that year. 1692 to 1693, crazy year of the Salem witch trials. All the hilfy <laughs> little details. Then we're going to take a break. Okay. When we come back in the second half, we're going to go through the 330 years since then for the answers to why. Why the hell did this happen and how did this happen? You mentioned when okay. we just first started talking, you were like the ergot is mm-hmm. a theory. And every once in a while, people come around sniffing around Boston, probably talking about, I've cracked the code. Mm-hmm. I know why the Salem witch trials happened. Because it feels so unbelievable yeah. that just otherwise decent human beings that look and, like us and speak <laughs> our language and are part of our founding ancestors could just lose their minds spontaneously <laughs> and so dangerously and so suddenly. And then it just fizzles away. It just ends. It's just So we're going to get into that in the second half. Uh, are you ready? To fuck the Salem witch trials. I'm so ready to fuck the Salem witch trials. <laughs> Especially now that I learned I can say that since it's the women's fault, right? <laughs> these fucking bitches. I know it's kind of tough as a white, straight guy these days to be like, fuck those bitches. But yes, you have full permission from a good feminist. Fuck these bitches. <laughs> I want to be clear. The witches are the victims. <laughs> See, you already screwed it up. See what happens when you try? It just always falls apart. Um, all right, let's fuck. So... It is 1692 January. All right. Salem, it's cold. It's fucking cold. Do you remember the winters up there in Boston? I sure do. How cold were they, girl? They were so cold. (laughs) They were cold as a witch's tit, right? Oh, oh, 
Is this where it comes from? I, I, Did we learn the origin story of Cold as a Witch's Tit? I don't know. <laughs> I do have some stories about tits later, but that one is un, unsolved. But 1692 Salem, January, Cold Cold House. Uh, this particular house um, is owned by the Reverend Samuel Paris. His house is particularly cold. Okay, and it isn't just because it's Salem and it's January. It's because he doesn't have enough firewood, mm. and it's bitter. He's bitter about it <laughs> because the reason he doesn't have enough firewood is because his fucking congregation is not paying him enough. Yeah. Now they're all broke and whatever, but they sort of lured him there, and he really kind of thought as the minister of this new town that he would have more. And they had negotiated a certain salary, and it was like the firewood was part of it. And they kept saying, "We'll give you money for firewood," but he doesn't want money for firewood. He wants the firewood itself, and it, right, it's mm-hmm. causing conflict. And it's cold, and he's sitting in his cold ass house, and he's just mad. In his house with him is his almost always bedridden wife. And when she's out of bed, she's just completely subservient, perfect Puritan wife, but she's mostly in bed. His daughter, Betty, who's nine, and his niece, Abigail Williams, who lives with them now because her whole family was slaughtered by Indians out there on the frontier. Hmm. And she is now an orphan servant maid that like helps out with bedridden mom and lives in the house. So it's a super happy household. (laughs) This place is thumping. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Betty and Abigail are good friends. Sleep in the same bed, hang out all day. I'm sure, you know, by all accounts, they're buddies, right? And one day they decide to try their hand at fortune telling to see if they can figure out who their husband's going to be. Take it from me. (laughs) Every teenage girl is preoccupied to some extent with her future love life, her present mm-hmm. and future love life, right? We know that. <laughs> you can, it, it, whatever it means, it, we, we've, we've sold lots of romantic comedies and board games and books based on I like... picture that be? thing, you, the like four-sided thing that you yes. do in your hands and you, you chant at and like... Yes. Open a little leaf and it will tell you. Yes, you have chosen one of my favorites from the hundreds <laughs> of examples of, yes, how young girls try to divine who is he, who's he going to be. What's he going to look like, okay? Witches. Try to, total witches, but let's try to appreciate for girls in Salem in 1692, who your husband is going to be is more than just like a heartthrob question. Mm-hmm. This is everything. Because your life is going to suck no matter what. The cold is not stopping. The babies that you, if you're lucky enough to survive childbirth, and if your kids are lucky enough to survive their own childbirth, your days are still f- spent churning butter and weaving and de- while the men disappear first thing in the morning to go hunt and do their own thing. And it's going to be a slog. Hopefully, the person that you sleep with every night doesn't want to beat the shit out of you. Hmm. And that would be great right so your whole existence whether you're going to have any monicum of pleasure in your life at all depends on this question and it's a known field (laughs) the men that you may or may not marry are really (laughs) apparent this is not like some handsome strangers coming into town and for people like abigail her prospects are virtually none because she's an orphan servant who has no dowry so this is all sort of right everything sucks we don't know if this came um from the enslaved woman who lived in the house her name is tituba or if it was some sort of old English superstition. Mm -hmm. But those two girls crack a raw egg into a glass of water. And what they see in the shape of the yolk is supposed to give them some information about who their future love will be. And it looks to them like the yolk turns into a coffin. Which spooks them. Yeah. All of a sudden, over the next 48 hours, these two girls go crazy. 
And by crazy, Alex, I mean babbling, bouncing around, contorting their bodies into wild positions. Their joints are jerking. Abigail reaches into the fire and throws embers around the room. (laughs) They're losing their damn minds. For a moment... She really doesn't want to marry that undertaker, huh? I guess. For the moment, this seems to escape the attention of Reverend Samuel Paris, the the Mm. man of the house, but not forever. Burning embers are are easy to miss. You know? Eventually, you know, you can only ignore a radically insane teenage girl for so long. Take it from me. So he eventually is like, oh, my God, right? This is nuts. And starts the line of questioning, which seems very apparent at first that anyone would see with somebody behaving like this. And you're, what's happening? What's going on? But then he eventually starts to ask, who is doing this to you? Which is a question the girls answer. And the first thing they say is Tituba. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's, as I said, not only the enslaved woman in the house, but I think she's one of the only people of color in the entire town. This isn't a time of enslavement. First of all, there aren't a lot of enslaved people there yet. We haven't really ramped up that mm. element of our atrocities quite yet. Um, there <laughs> we're, are, we're still on the whole burning witches yeah. thing. <laughs> there Hanging are, witches. Exactly. And there are a lot of enslaved. There was a lot of white indentured servitude going on in the colonies. Um, we found that the Native Americans were not very great slaves because mm-hmm. they just go home. <laughs> um, and so, and, and also these people economically couldn't have afforded anything. Anyway, mm-hmm. all of that to be said, she was, uh, she was an island already. So Tituba is brought in for questioning by the Reverend and she says, um, well, I'm not a witch, but I did bake them a witch cake. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. My friend Alex goes, oh, probably the same <laughs> a thing. A witch Sam. cake. I have that recipe. That's that's a a Betty Crocker recipe, right? (laughs) It is. And if you recall from your Betty Crocker recipe, a witch cake has the urine of the afflicted girls baked into the cake. Then the cake is fed to a hog, and then you watch the hog for some more divination. Or or the hog's digestive system is supposed to, like, purify them. Hard to say. It's also the recipe for matzah, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Very well known. Very well known. So Reverend Samuel Paris hears this from Tichaba and is like, wow. And he's watching the behavior of these two girls, clearly possessed by the devil, clearly overtaken by something. His West Indian slave has now admitted she's brought witchcraft into this whole thing. Tichaba had to know she was in trouble. And and by all accounts, anything she said was beaten out of her relentlessly. She, however, delivers marvelously what the people want to hear from her. She continuously, strenuously denies being a witch herself, but articulates in vivid, captivating detail how the devil appeared to her and demanded that she serve him. How that he appeared as a dog, that he would, she'd be walking around, he would appear as a dog, then magically transform into a man, demand that she serve him, get so angry when she wouldn't, and then would turn into a bird and fly away. Sometimes he had a yellow bird with him, sometimes he had a red cat, sometimes he had a black cat how he would come out of the shadows. I mean, this is fucking compelling stuff. She eventually says that she saw a book. He kept trying to get her to sign her name in his book and pledge Mm. her loyalty to him. And that every time he'd show her the book, she could see other names written into it. Okay. Ooh, exactly. Alex, there is no more red meat (laughs) for a Puritan village. 
than what I just described. Okay. There it, it hooks me. I'm hooked and I have a TV. I have a TV <laughs> and I already know this story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's fascinating. And the Puritan people believe deeply in these things. They preach endlessly about a very personified God and a very personified devil locked in an eternal spiritual warfare, still a very common dialogue among many different tenets of Christianity, is this concept of a fight for good and evil, not just for the world, and even not just for every human soul, but for everything. Like there are demons and angels fighting over whether or not you have another cup of coffee. And there are demons and angels fighting over whether or not you read that magazine. I mean, it is this sort of constant battle. And you as an individual are either praying and helping the good guys or actively serving Sounds and helping the evil it's pretty it's pretty stark <laughs> and the end is nigh the end times and the apocalypse always this fetish of our christian cults and this is yet more demonstration that the end is nigh because as you know the devil comes back in force and the dead rise and ghosts and apparitions come in force and it feels like it could be the end of the world because <laughs> everything sucks and so all of a sudden, word gets out that these two girls are going crazy, that Tichuba made a witch cake and the devil is in the shape of a dog. And it's a wildfire in Salem. Dozens of more girls are suddenly afflicted in the same way. They're shrieking in church. They're pointing at apparitions that they see. Um, it's It's completely crazy. And no one knows what the fuck is going on. I mean, you know, because there's no way to deny it. Yeah. There's no way to deny it without denying that God exists. Or that spiritual warfare is real. But there is a something like a structure for this. We, we have had witch trials before. There is something like a, a precedent in the law, right? And so they get the court of Oyer and Terminer, which is an old English style court. It Oyer? means to hear and determine. Okay. Oyer okay. and Terminer, which is some... Anglo Franco, you know, mm -hmm. Latin diffused term that just means a, a group of respected individuals who have been, um, you know, brought together to hear and determine the outcome of a grievance or some sort of court case. Okay. Yeah. So they get nine justices together to figure out and to try and to sort out judiciously this witchcraft situation. <laughs> These individuals own everything. In town, yeah, they are already the richest, the own the most land, are the deepest connected, and they all are fucking each other and intermarried, <laughs> and they own each other's. You know what I mean? They already sort of elected each they other. All have six fingers. The, and very, each yes, hand. very much, very much. Um, and you need five of these guys mm -hmm. to be a quorum, so they could sort of take, you know, really move through and take their time off as they need to. We don't know exactly what justices were present at what court hearings because Alex Malt. All of the official court records were destroyed, hmm. are gone, By witches? completely vanished. <laughs> if only. I think the witches probably would have liked to have kept yeah. them around, actually. But as I've, I've alluded to from the beginning, this whole thing is a shame. Yeah. It is a shameful, shameful thing that virtually everyone involved regrets at various levels <laughs> really fast. It's the January 6th of, uh, like, <laughs> we this done has fucked been, up. Like, all bad ideas, super popular. 
for a year. <laughs> so we don't have the court records yeah. from the Oyer and Terminer, but what we mm. do have are the eyewitnesses, people who were there and wrote a, a, a travel journal or a diary or a letter to somebody, and that is still gives us a lot of crazy <laughs> I like the stuff. idea of a travel writer then. Yes. Back then, I traveled three months, and now I'm 40 miles outside of the city. Let me tell you, the trees here, they're slightly, slightly different. Yeah. Okay, so these court trials, like I said, we don't have the official, whatever the official transcripts even would have been. Who knows, who knows how helpful they would have been. But what we do have is crazy is part of the reason why 330 years later you and i are still sitting down with our hands on our foreheads with and our <laughs> eyes wide looking at each other like what the fuck so one of the things that made the salem witch trials so fascinating was that they allowed for things like spectral evidence <laughs> okay spectral evidence is essentially taking as evidence someone's claim that they saw a witch, a spirit. So mm -hmm. you'd be sitting in the courtroom and Abigail Williams suddenly shoots her eyes up at the ceiling, points and starts shrieking, it's Goody Osborne, it's Goody Osborne, she's coming. And then just starts jerking around, she's pinching me, she's pinching me and crying and crying and why are you, okay? Normally you and me would see this and we'd be like, Abigail, stop it. <laughs> like you could find a psycho, right? But what they did in the court of Oyer and Terminer was look at Goody Osborne and mm -hmm. be like, bitch, why? <laughs> why are you tormenting this poor girl stop it and goody osborne's like what the fuck and she's like you can hear her right she's obviously getting pinched look at her yeah and you just goody like what and that was it that was it's considered getting arrested for that game of i'm not touching you i'm not touching That's exactly you. <laughs> getting arrested for that is exactly right and so you've got people like i said these dozens of girls and it starts off just being teenage girls just Pointing, twisting, accusing from their home, jumping up in the middle of church and screaming at the minister. <laughs> We've all wanted oh to do that. Let's be fair. God, but it, this is like, they yeah. have this Not permission Puritan. slip all of a sudden. And, the, you know, Reverend Samuel Paris, who doesn't go near his daughter ever, is now at her bedside, you know, holding her hand and asking who else and who else and what did they do and oh, the gasps and the care. I mean, yeah. it matters. Munchausen's. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> so the spectral evidence is one of the things that is brought in. But, of course, you cannot... <laughs> execute someone solely on spectral evidence <laughs> just mostly but you need, right but you need a witness something mm. like oh yeah when <laughs> uh you know uh, goody osborne walked past my chicken and then that chicken died six weeks later <laughs> so i'm i'm a witness to say yes she's a witch people would bring up their own urinary tract infections i haven't been able to urinate right since since goody osborne you know, brought some flowers over, or if you had any kind of conflict with someone, yeah. you know, there was something like, uh, you know, we squabbled over the cost of something or the trade. And then I went home and, you know, my eggs were all foul. That mm. seems pretty obvious. That was taken as direct evidence that the court would hear and be like, yes, that sounds about right to us. Um, mm -hmm. One of the craziest parts to me is this thing called the touch test. And the touch test was <laughs> if you... Alex are an afflicted girl just writhing and oh Dawn mm -hmm. Brody is, is pinching me and she's hurting me one of the things that they could take into evidence was if I went over and touched you the symptoms would miraculously stop mm. 
Because as we know, as we all know, of course, um, that somehow breaks a bond or the spell or like the the conduit through which I mean, there really isn't. <laughs> it makes you realize a, you're being an know. idiot because other people are around. It. But if but it has to be the person who's afflicting you. So mm-hmm. only oh, so the the, okay. the symptoms would only stop if the witch who's afflicting you touched you. Ah. So what the court could always do if they just weren't sure from the spectral evidence and the eyewitnesses if the individual was a witch, is they would have them walk over and touch the afflicted girl. And if the symptoms suddenly stopped, then that was a sure sign. Done deal. You're dead in two days. Crazy. The executions took place in Salem. Um, As I said, 19 of the 20 were hanged. Mm -hmm. The one who was pressed to death was an old man named Giles Corey. And the reason he was pressed and not hanged was because by the time he was brought to the court, he realized that the way that things had gone, if you confessed, and certainly if you incriminated someone else, you would not be executed. 99.9% 99.9% of the time, you'd have your uh, property confiscated, you would lose a lot of your wealth, and you may spend some time in jail, and then you get a fee for the time that you spent mm. in jail, but you would get away with your life. The other people in your household might also be tried, because now you're a, you are an admitted witch, so they must also <laughs> be, so it can be real hairy, but maybe you'll survive. If you don't confess, and they find you guilty, you're executed. So he finds himself in court now is accused, and he owns a lot of land, a lot. Yeah. He's a kind of a rich guy, and he, he knows that no matter what he says, he's going to lose it all, and he's 80. So when the court of Oyer and Terminer asks him, how would you like to be tried, he doesn't answer. And they can't technically try him because they're making up the <laughs> rules as they go, but that was kind of one of the rules. They can't hang him for being guilty if he didn't whatever so they go back to the old school and they decide to press him and what this means is he dug they dug a hole he laid on his back and they put boards over his body and then they would slowly stack heavy stones on top of these boards (laughs) it took three days Um, at some point his tongue popped out of his mouth and they pushed it back in with the tip of a cane. So his head is exposed and the boards are like on the chest Laid on his down. chest. Okay. And they just kind of continually add the pressure. This is, even for them, yeah, an archaic, primitive form of torture. <laughs> um, and it takes him several days to die. And when he does finally die, they just throw some dirt on him and leave. And the, the legend says that his family came and tr- retrieved his body, but they never confiscated his property. Mm. Nice. Giles Corey. That, that is way less funny than the wine press that I was picturing for when yes. he got pressed. Yes. Quality Massachusetts witch wine. <laughs> <laughs> now, some of this, you know, you got to be asking, like, what the fuck? Spectral evidence and the touch test. And, like, where are they getting this stuff? One Basically, of the sources. It's like, this all seems like things that your daughter would have invented. I could imagine Beatrice coming up with each and every one of these rules. Alex, you completely if, if a witch my mind. touches you, then you're and you're fine. Then she's definitely a witch. <laughs> you're completely right. It feels so so childlike, so infantile. Even though the stakes are so high, I never get through a reading of the Salem Witch Trials without thinking about Lord of the Flies. Mm, yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about why they did feel a bit like. Uh, they were adrift because of like the world circumstances and the way that the uh, world power was shifting around them. Where were they getting all of these 
ideas of like how you would even try a witch. Some of them they had adopted from England and England English witch trials, but some of them came from this book written by a guy named Cotton Mather. Mm, I've heard it. He's like one of the few names that like people are like, yeah, I know that guy Cotton Mather. He was very tied up in this and he wasn't one of these nine judges. He, he wasn't a witch accuser or anything. But he had sort of inadvertently provided the source material for them because in 1688, in the city of Boston, there had been an accusation of witchcraft. Two young girls were suddenly afflicted, similar kind of babbling and, and, and physically contorting. And Cotton Mather took these two girls into his home, evaluated them and spoke with them and determined that it was the Irish Catholic housemaid. Mm-hmm. She confessed under undoubtedly strenuously torturous conditions and is executed. And he wrote a book about it. This book served as an obvious sort of inspiration for what happened in Salem. So Cotton Mather is now in a bind where he sees that this stuff has gone completely off the rails. And these these lunatics in Salem are just like slaughtering each other kind of using his book as an example and There's he doesn't know in how to kill a witch in 10 days yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. sa- what's with this sudden uptick in sales for my normally obscure book <laughs> yeah and he's kind of like stuck because he can't he can't say that book stop it that book's bullshit or what you're doing because it would be delegitimatizing yeah. himself self-incriminating so he and so the only he does eventually go down and witness some of the executions but he <laughs> he's around but you know he doesn't know quite how to stop it he does ultimately become somewhat influential in helping bring it to an end but just not as fast as he maybe could have <laughs> um here's the worst judge so these nine guys you can imagine bunch of cunts right yeah here's the worst one in my opinion is a guy named john hawthorne he was so inclined to not believe the victims mm. and so ready to be like, why are you pinching these poor girls? That everyone <laughs> agreed that the afflicted girls really turned it up when he was around. Yeah. He, um, horrible, horrible manipulative uh, tactics, like bringing in the young children of the victims mm. and, and tr- tricking them into incriminating their parents and using the kids to get the parents to, Confess more quickly. Awful. Um, He definitely personally enriched himself on the confiscated goods from the victims and didn't even make any qualms about it. Like he was confronted by someone who was like, you took all of our horses and now you're riding them. Like, how dare you? And he very smugly said, would you have us starve while we settle your town's business? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if it just like judges in Miami these days just like driving around in eight Ferraris yeah. that they confiscated well, from drug dealers? I know, but they say that's kind of what the cops do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if you find this concept abominable, you need to look around <laughs> because it's not that unheard of. Uh, but uh, but we don't, obviously, we all agree it's horribly unfair. Mm-hmm. However much it happens, <laughs> it is still horribly unfair. Um, and he's also considered sort of a hypocrite and, and people are very suspicious of John Hawthorne because he was very devout. He's a Puritan, as they all are, and he believes in God and the devil and the stakes and heaven and hell and the real structure of this stuff. And yet he seemed awfully unafraid of being in the presence of these possessed, demon-influenced individuals. He didn't seem to have sort of an accompanying anxiety yeah, that's a good point. Historians have not treated him well. In fact, his own family didn't. His descendant is Nathaniel Hawthorne, who's the author of The Scarlet Letter. Yeah. 
which is one of my favorite books uh, right. and details some sort of incredulous uh, behavior from <laughs> colonial people. But he made a very public statement knowing that his ancestor was a judge in the Salem witch trials and yeah. was like that piece of shit and kind of apologized <laughs> on behalf of the family. But as, as you've heard, as I've said from the beginning, the Salem witch trials were an awful abuse of power, a terrible, shameful way for any community to behave. And a lot of people knew it from the time it started all the way to the end and helped to hasten it to its end. But because of a number of circumstances, it was really hard to do. So basically, the Salem Witch Trials just fizzled out mm. because Boston, yeah. your people, came in and were like, you know what? This is highly unusual, isn't it? To just execute. Boston doesn't get to people. be the good guy so that often gonna, in no, stories. Let me tell you, this is a good one. Same. Usually we're doing something bad, but... No, no. They got, and they slid into like a really good stepdad where they like <laughs> they didn't make too much fuss. They were like, we'll just take this off. Your, your jail's full. We'll just take this. And so they took all of the in you know witches that were accused and currently sitting in prison and they took the caseload from Oyer and Terminer. They were like, we'll do this in the full light of day in a big city. Yeah. And they went through the trials. Uh, I think they may have convicted another two or three people, but they were not executed. They were appropriately <laughs> punished and their stuff was taken. And I'm sure nobody had a good time, but the execution stopped. And once they got through <laughs> the end of the court filing, they were like, okay, we're done now. Anyone who accused anyone from then on was scrutinized in a slightly different mm. way. And then everyone lifted their heads in 1694 and it was all over, which is why... By 1697, the families and people were like, hang on a goddamn minute. Does anyone remember when they just swept through and picked us up and took us to court and a lot of us died? Like, come on. And remember when so, they killed my mom? Can we take a hot minute and just address that? And of course, here we are. Yeah. All these years later where there's been some official apologies. Even as late as like the 1990s, the city of Salem was like, we just really want to reiterate how really bad we feel about all of that. And it was horribly unfair. So, um, you know, we're going to come back in part two and talk about the theories about why all of this happened. But before we go to our break, Alex Malt, do you have any questions? Huh. What's the population of Salem at this time? It was growing, but it was small. I want to say that the population, if you included Andover, okay. which is a town sort of northwest of Boston, mm -hmm. um, which had some of the accusers and some of the victors that came from there, it was like 800, give okay. or take. Wow. I think it was so always... like a percentage of the population that they took out oh, then. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of people <laughs> kill in one year. Um well, uh, my friend Alex, we are going to uh, take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to regale you with why. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I mean, it's nuts, right? It is. And stick around for part two, because while some of the explanations that people have offered up over the years give some context for what happened in Salem, it makes it no less nuts. Now, before that, though, increase your stores of great educational podcasts with my friend Dead Air Dennis Maller. You'll hear from him next, and then we'll jump right back in with part two of the Salem Witch Trials. Hi, I'm Dead Air Dennis Maller, host of another educational podcast devoted to helping you get smarter and laughing all at the same time. It's called Word of the Day with Comedians. It's the funniest way to expand your vocabulary and is available on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Now it's time for the history you were never taught from the person who should never teach it. Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. Which, please? <laughs> <laughs> 
Part two of the Salem witch trials. Now, I did mention that there were witch trials before. We know our good friends in Salem did not invent the idea of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the witch trials before, though, in England, they were at their peak 1400 to like, mm, there was still some in the early 1700s. And in Scotland and in Ireland, they did have on their books the witchcraft acts, which put into their legal code how to identify a witch how to try her, how to mm. sentence her. It was largely her. What were the constraints <laughs> of witchcraft? I mean, it was laid out in the law. When did but, witches go from good to bad? Because, like, wasn't there, like, Merlin? Like, Merlin was based on, like, a real person that was in a court, right? Sure. Well, I think that you 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 <laughs> touch a very important point on this, which is what is construed as witchcraft has always changed kind of as our evolution of technology has changed. Mm. So with figures like Merlin, who are sort of somewhat based in reality, but mostly fictional, even up to figures like Rasputin mm, yeah. or other sort of uh, divinely inspired witchy style of characters could it be that they were just a little bit better <laughs> than everyone else at utilizing a new form of technology and understanding and even psychology for example why we don't think albert einstein was a magician mm-hmm. because we sort of understand that he had a, a tool for science his brain was particularly good yeah because at utilizing... he was an alien that the aliens <laughs> gave us as a gift right okay so see there are some people who still aren't sure if maybe he was <laughs> magical but i think that you know some people just had access to certain elements and and the knowledge of how to combine them to make medicines yeah, so yeah. if you just simply knew how to identify a certain number of plants and then how to extract the element of that plant that changed the human body that was considered witchcraft. Yeah. Then later we're like, obviously that's not witchcraft. That is a uh, medicine. Mm-hmm. That is now we now with those individuals who know how to do that, and we know they can learn how to do that. Plants and herbs medicine. and leeches. Hey, that's that's medicine. That's it. You got to align the humors. You need mm. more wet. <laughs> was a prescription for about five hundred years. But like, yeah, if you knew a lady in the woods who um, could keep you alive when you were delivering a baby, yeah, versus just sitting next to the cold stone. You know, by the fire on a fur with like your dad and your uncle and your male sons around you, just like like yelling. You're like, no, I'll go to that old lady's hut in the woods because like sounds like she knows how this works and she can do this. That would easily label this old lady a witch. I think we've gotten a little too lax on witchcraft, if you ask me, because I think all these crystal loving people out in L.A. would technically qualify as witches if they were in 1692. 100%. Just looking at one of them crystals, <laughs> let alone wearing one. Yeah, you're right, I'd say Alex. we should kill them, but we should at least We publicly... should put them in a wagon and drive them around town, though. <laughs> at least once a year. Here's one of the fascinating things about these witchcraft acts, though, that I, I, don't, I didn't have enough time to, of course, to go. We're not in the English witch trials. We're in the Salem witch trials, but... These legal guidelines in England about how to try a witch in the Witchcraft Acts changed at some point in the early 1700s to no longer discuss the punishment for you doing witchcraft Mm. and changed to punishing you for claiming that you could do witchcraft. And I'm no lawyer, girl, but I find that kind of a monumental shift in a legal code, which is still called the Witchcraft Acts, changing some language, but essentially, suddenly denying that witchcraft is real. Yeah. 
That like the foundation of this law and why they had had it up until the early 1700s was not only because they believed very much in witchcraft, they believed it was so real, it was a threat to the government and to the people, a significant enough threat that they needed to put into the legal code a way to handle it and persecute it to the point of death. And then it's, if you say you're a witch, you can be tried for being a con artist. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're not allowed to sell a false bill of goods and say you're a witch if you're not. That's like a big fucking deal. Especially if your mom fucking died in jail as a witch and was oppressed to death. And now you're like, wait, wait, wait. I just run (laughs) around town telling everyone I'm a witch and I'm going to get in trouble for lying? (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, well, we, maybe we can dig into that later, but that was England's deal. All of that to say, England was looking over there at Massachusetts Bay, though, being like, what? <laughs> Explain to me why we want to keep them again. And they, 200 <laughs> in the town have been accused of it. And, and don't forget, a bunch of them are confessing. Yeah. As I've told you, they're confessing to save their lives. But like, this just makes everybody even more <laughs> like, wait a minute. That's when you confess, like, so, so hard, right? That's when you do the, like, I am a witch, and I will burn this entire place down if you don't free me. You're a hundred... That's my fucking tactic. Exactly right. I'm like, urinary tract infection. Urinary <laughs> tract infection. You're, you all have so, it, right? Everybody. And you just look and you're like, you're a fat piece of shit who's probably got gout. How's your big toe? Maybe that's why I New Englanders that. are the only people that drink cranberries. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Witch hanging and urinary tract infections. Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> where lovers go. <laughs> right. We put the I in UTI. <laughs> Alex Mall, I'm going to go through the theories now because, as I've said, this is a puzzle. The Salem Witch Trials are a real puzzle. We know that sometimes people go nuts. We know that there's cults. We've seen cults go crazy. We've seen cults commit mass suicide. We've seen people commit great acts of violence against people outside of their community. We, all sorts. But this is just such a unique little critter. Lots of books, lots of study. You can major in the witch trials, girl. Mm. So I have gone through and I have selected for us my favorite theories about why. Um, The first one (laughs) seems to sort of permeate all of this stuff, which is girls suck, (laughs) especially teenage girls. (laughs) Like that's just kind of the headline is that crazy ass teenage girls are dangerous and they're loony. And we've got the Manson girls as Mm. another example. We've got, do you remember Slender Man? I do. Mm-hmm. Those girls that brought the other girl into the woods and stabbed her? Stabbed her. Did they kill her? I don't remember. They no, tried. she they survived. tried to kill her, but she crawled her bloody ass out of the woods. And yeah, it was like my found two, her, her two friends yeah. wanted to kill her for the sake of this slender man fella that was on the internet. I don't know. Um, and I can attest to this, uh, having been a teenage girl and in the company of teenage girls and with the privilege of looking down the barrel of raising a teenage girl someday, um, they do suck a lot. And I think that one of the reasons why teenage girls can be a, a real pain in the ass, a real unique, special, sort of painful, scary creature is the same reason that every human being can be a very scary creature, which is when they are sort of compartmentalized. Mm. into something that doesn't fit and isn't accurate. And we all know we do this. You know, we're always kind of putting people into various things. But as a teenage girl, maybe it is especially difficult because, God, it's this combination of we're trying to keep you safe. Yeah. Because everybody wants to 
but they're not saying fuck you to death. <laughs> like you are just this little piece of bait walking around the world and everyone wants to hurt you. They either want to love you to death or they want to show you off or they want to put you down or they want to exploit you. You're just in so much danger. <laughs> Let us protect you. I get it. Yeah. You just, at some point you want to, goddamn Brittany, shave my fucking head <laughs> and do anything I can for you to see something other than a teenage girl first. Mm-hmm. Just human first. And it's so sexualized in the crucible. Yeah. They, they really are like, what was up with these teenage girls? I know. Oh, they, they wanted to fuck everybody. <laughs> they must have been lesbians, and they were really felt guilty about being lesbians. They wanted to fuck the minister, and so they were trying to get his wife to get, you know, the crucible mm. sort of sets up this love triangle thing. And here's the thing that I didn't know um, until I read these books, and I'm really glad I know now. A disproportionately high number of these girls, yeah. nine of my count, witnessed horrible, brutal violence at the hands of Indians out there on the frontier. Now, I use the term Indians only because that is the term they are using, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, And also talking about this stuff is so sticky in 2022 because from, from our perspective, of course, the Native American population of the North American continent have been systematically brutalized and victimized from personal to domestic to legislative it's just this awful shameful thing yeah that started bad and just kept getting bad yeah <laughs> okay and culminated in teams naming them <laughs> yeah, at least we did them the honor though of making stupid awful caricatures on our football teams um but uh at this point in 1692 it's still something of a fair fight okay mm-hmm. i said it was 200 years since columbus sailed the ocean blue and the native populations of the North American continent have kind of gotten wise. Yeah. <laughs> like we've moved on from Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And these white fucks are awful. Yeah. And we have already uh, behaved <laughs> in a way that demonstrated our intent to wipe them from the face of the earth and to bulldoze them and their rights and their property at every turn. And they were accurately assessing the threat <laughs> of the white settler. Yeah. And the f- violence and the bloodshed was stark. The native populations were joining with France in a lot of circumstances to fight against English settlers specifically. Um, and native populations were joining together, overcoming their own previous uh, divisions in order to really make formidable forces mm-hmm. against these white settling outposts. And Salem's kind of out there. Yeah. I mean, it's... For, which is crazy, right? 40 miles outside of Boston is out there. It's really out there. And they had tried, and many of the families in Salem had tried to creep out. They'd go out another few miles, and they'd set up a, an area, and they'd start to harvest mm-hmm. grain, and they'd build a homestead, and it would get burned, and everyone would be murdered, and they'd have to rush back to Maine or Boston or these sort of safeguards. And let me give you some examples of what some of these afflicted girls had gone through. Abigail Williams, who I told you was one of the first. You saw the egg... The, mm-hmm. the, you know, coffin, uh, in, coffin the in the egg. Her whole family was hatcheted to death in an event that she almost certainly witnessed, um, if not saw it, certainly heard it. Yeah. Um, there's two girls named Mercy, ironically. Hmm. Mercy Lewis had two different stints with her family, kind of out there in the frontier. In the first one, her uncles and extended family were murdered and her, some of her siblings. She went to Salem to hide out for a while, then things calmed down. She went out again and saw her parents murdered by Indians 
And that was at 15. That's two years before this. And mm. now she's living as an orphan with her family, just like Abigail is. Mercy Short, get this. She is held hostage at the age of 15 after seeing her entire immediate family butchered to death. She's marched as a hostage um, to this kind of distant village. And on the way, they murder a 17-year-old girl, scalp her, decapitate her, and carry her head around to taunt the other girls as a way of like warning what will happen next. <laughs> and she saw them hatchet a five-year-old boy to death, according to her, for sport. She then watched three of the men from her town that she knew get burned alive at the stake. That'll teach you to behave. <laughs> it is a rough hang, okay? Now, I just want, I mean, we know the effects that post-traumatic stress can have mm -hmm. on your body, yeah. on your mind, hallucinations, sweating, anxiety, twisting. The likelihood that these teenage girls were having dramatic post-traumatic stress episodes and it was being seen through the filter of a paranoid, hyper-religious, suspicious mm -hmm. group that just kept asking who, yeah. you know? But it does lead us into theory number two, which is that this whole thing was all local politics. That these mm. people, they, they were devout, they believed in God, but they were not actually sussing out witches. They were yeah. simply settling old scores and using this crazy hot bed situation to just like achieve their own ends it's right? super easy super easy way to get rid of your neighbor is just hey i heard she's a witch but bam and at the worst cases they they're found innocent or they're found guilty and then they just lose a bunch of shit and you just get to kind of stick it to them yeah they might not be a witch but they've got that witch tarnish on them for the rest of their life <laughs> tarnish is right now um of the accusers one of the most prolific was a girl named ann putnam she's 12 she's one of the things that feeds this theory that it was all local politics of because Putnam books and putnam, putnam? <laughs> maybe i don't know i actually don't know if that's the line um but she's 12 at the time she accused 19 people, 11 of whom hanged. Ooh. If you she's, remember our headcount, that's over half of the executed victims. She's playing baseball. She's in the Hall of Fame. She's, she is. <laughs> she is knocking witches out of this park. Bam, boom, bam. So, it's like a 550 batting crazy. average right Exactly. It's and the, It's really impressive. I mean, on the one hand, she's like this cunt who points a lot of fingers. On the other hand, she is a really good sniffer. <laughs> but part of the reason why people point to Anne uh, in support of this theory that this is all local politics is because Anne's dad was a real piece of shit mm. and he had grudges against everybody in town. Yeah. And he filed himself the vast majority of these complaints, way more than were mm. brought to court, way more than were even convicted. Her dad was just throwing, yeah, Anne said it was, like, Anne said, Anne said, you know. I, I like picturing just an Anne Putnam billboard up, you know, like, Anne Putnam, <laughs> she'll get your witch convicted. That's you need right. a witch conviction. That's right. <laughs> Call 1-800-PUTNAM. <laughs> yeah, you find a dead chicken in your shed? Well, I know the witch that did it. Yeah, Call totally, Anne. Totally. Um, but like, poor Anne, I mean, I really think it's fair to say that her she was this sad tool of her dad. Mm -hmm. She never married. Yeah. Um, both of her parents died shortly after this, and she ended up raising all these fucking siblings of hers. Cool. And she was one of the only accusers to ever publicly apologize. And girl Ooh. climbed up you know, in front of the pulpit at her church as an adult. And and it's, you can read it if you want to find her, her. And says, I am so sorry. I accused. But she, she doesn't say I was doing a bad thing. She says the devil 
you know, there's no putting this genie back in the bottle. She wasn't like, (laughs) I knew I was doing, you know, she was a makes sense. Right. Yeah. There was some local politics. There was some like dish, some local gossip going down a hundred percent true, but it certainly doesn't explain all of this. It, it, it cannot sufficiently explain the subjugation and murder of your neighbors one at a time, you know, relentless pursuit. Um, and it's not so local. We do not have America yet. It's 100 years until we get to the Constitution. We're still little England. A lot of these people, when you read their letters, talk about both Englands. May there mm-hmm. be peace in both Englands. Because we are very much a subject to the king. And this is part of the reason why the ground is so shaky right now. Because I don't know if you know about the English history of the Restoration, King Charles. Mm. So this crazy batshit English history is aligning perfectly with Salem and it matters. It's sort of like if you wanted to talk about the Trump administration without mentioning COVID. Okay. Or you want to talk about what happened during COVID, but like, I don't want to get into the presidential politics. You're like, well, you're you're not really going to understand either Mm -hmm. one if you can't sort of explore the other. So I'll try to be brief. But in England... In the 1650s, huge shakeup. It, it, it was basically briefly a republic and not a monarchy. Huh. Oliver Cromwell killed King Charles I, dissolved parliament, and made Britain a, a republic. He dies in office, which is, again, like crazy history. In, in 1658, Oliver Cromwell dies. And in 1660, his uh, Charles I's son, the executed king, his son is put back up on the throne and it's the huh. restoration. We're back. Crazy. Oliver Cromwell, who briefly established a monarchy-less <laughs> England, crazy, is also a Puritan. Mm. And the Puritans had fucked off from England because King Charles I was a dick yeah. and was really awful to Puritans. So all of these colonists... You know, who in Massachusetts, when they heard Oliver Cromwell fucking killed Charles I, and we have a Puritan running Britain, we're like, fuck, yes, <laughs> fuck. They may or may not go back, but the bottom line is, like, we got our guy it's on like the Utah throne. Utah, Mitt Romney wins. Exactly. <laughs> and they're getting there. Now, keep in mind, messages take a lot of time to get back and forth, but Oliver Cromwell is not there yeah. for very long. 1658, he dies, and now they realize not only is Charles II back on the throne, it's monarchy again, he's Catholic. Mm. Fuck. So they and kind he's of. Pissed. He's not he's only pissed. a Catholic, but he's pissed. But even more than like how you feel about that and how that affects you legislatively, in between all of this crazy ground shaking, there's no longer a king in England. What the fuck? Is who owns what land? Like the governor in the Massachusetts Bay Colony is not going to have a firm grip on politics when he doesn't know who the king is and how you collect taxes and who owns what and what liens are what what it means is that these fucks out in salem for the last 30 40 years in addition to the indian attacks have been like oh sorry new king new laws the governor has dissolved all land ownership and you have to buy it again yeah you have to come to town if you you can have your first dibs on your land but you need to come purchase it from the new government there's been a lot of fuckery and then you need to purchase it and then fight off the indians it's a great place to raise a family here at the massachusetts bay colony you're gonna love it yeah and the price is so great you'll lose your head half off (laughs) boom boom yeah oh wait wait i got it hang on see i covered it ready there we go The uncertainty for the individuals living in Salem at this time were fundamental. Mm. From their faith now being shaken by these visions of the devil, getting their neighbors that they thought they knew are signing the devil's book in the middle of the night. They admitted it. They heard them admit it in church. 
and we don't know who's king or if there is a king and we don't know who the governor is. There's always been all these turnovers of like who is running the actual colony itself. And the Native Americans are coming up in the middle of the night. And also I'm going to die from this weird gum disease. I mean, it's just a shit show. Everyone living in complete unorganized chaos. Yeah. It is a desperate, desperate attempt to make sense out of chaos. And if you have a grudge against someone, it just makes it easier for you to believe that they are doing it to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. This next theory, Alex, you actually predicted. You mm. talked about this one a little bit because it's kind of a hot, among the witch trial, jib-jab. It's kind yeah. of a hot topic. Ergot. Um, ergot is, for those of you who've never heard of it before, it is a hallucination-inducing mold that is found growing on some grains, some breads in certain kind of weather scenarios. Mm -hmm. We know it's happened before. We found it in the digestive systems of various people, and we know that it exists. And um, in 1976, this highly respected doctor, Linda R. Caporali, suggested that the Salem witch trials were not local politics, were not girls being bitches. It was a bona fide hallucination on behalf of the population who was eating this moldy bread and finding themselves tripping out. Yeah. Was that basic, what you had heard? Yeah, that's that's what I heard, yeah. Um, have you ever had ergot? <laughs> I've, had, uh, I've had ergot plus one other letter at the end because I think ergot's lysergic acid something else, but I've had lysergic mm. acid diethamine or whatever, LSD, LSD. before. So. Mm -hmm. so I've had the better version of did ergot. Did you see any witches? Did you see any of your neighbors flying around I didn't. when you did? I did not, and I'm a little disappointed. I'm a little disappointed. Yeah. I didn't see any... No people fly. <laughs> no, no. no. But, uh, some other things, sandwiches. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, sam floating sandwiches, breathing trees, you know, well, portals to other dimensions, yeah. beautiful sunsets, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah, see, and I remember hearing this this theory, too, uh, when I first studied this in college, mm -hmm. and I and I liked it. I remember kind of holding on to it, uh, uh, probably because I myself had just uh, entered the wonderful yeah. world of hallucinogens, and I was like, they're great. Mm -hmm. I know that much. And I completely understand how if you did not know you took it <laughs> and found yourself in a situation like this that you'd be like, oh, yeah, somebody's up my skirt with some witchcraft because this isn't right. And it's intriguing. And it's also really nice from a modern perspective to believe it was something like that because then it lets us off the hook yeah. with all that like. It's not just weird base no, human instinct. Certainly my building wouldn't turn into this. You know, you shut the power off for three days. I think we're we're hanging a witch on the roof. Yeah. Uh, 100%. <laughs> Um, you know, and we can sort of avoid that idea that we are susceptible in any way as victims or accusers because it, we know better than to eat icky yeah. bread. Um, and it was it was pretty um, roundly dismissed, as mm -hmm. intriguing as it is. Botanists and other historians have argued that it would have affected the population more broadly. Mm. It was a really cold, wet winter, but is that when the grain was stored or when the bread yeah. was stored? Anyways, you can talk about it and tell people it's a theory, but that you <laughs> have to finish by saying, no, but nah, no people, nah. don't, people don't really believe it. Um, which brings us to my fourth and final theory, mm. Alex Maltz. The theory is that it was the devil. Mm. Hmm. For the faithful out there, and I, with respect, do not count myself among the faithful, but I do uh, uh, know and love those who are. And for Christians and Jews and Muslims and practicers of witchcraft and <laughs> Branch Davidians, what all of these religious share is a belief, a deep, fundamental belief in an invisible world 
there are invisible forces and powers over which I have no control that you cannot see, and that is just a basis. Which means that when you talk about the Salem witch trials, you can talk about how in, in unjust it was, how shameful it was, how abominable it was. But one of the words they won't necessarily use is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Because of the belief in the apocalypse, the belief in spiritual warfare and a biblical inevitable apocalypse. And what Christians and Jews and uh, Muslims all share is an Old Testament. Yeah. <laughs> And the Old Testament, among other things, tells us this. God will smote you, motherfuckers. <laughs> Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Whew. Ding. Leviticus <laughs> says this. Right in between the parts about hating gays and stoning <laughs> listen, women. <laughs> listen, every once in a while, this, this book really lays it out for you. Um, Leviticus says, a man or woman who has a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. And Deuteronomy says, there shall not be found among you those who use magic. So, knowing the pure headcount of the human beings on earth presently mm -hmm. who consider themselves among the faithful, this is what many of their shared holy books says about this subject. I get why uh, super religious moms hate Harry Potter. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's exactly right. <laughs> I just, I want to see Harry Potter 8 or whatever the yes. next one is. Like and, Deuter and... the Deuteronomy version where Harry uh -huh. Potter gets stoned. <laughs> yeah, listen. And if you want to know why the witch trials fizzled out, and there was an apology, but in every apology, in every backing off, is the acknowledgement that witches are real that mm -hmm. witchcraft is a threat, that the devil is striving to take over every human soul and certainly bring down the church. And that what we all really need to apologize for, and what they did apologize for, was letting the devil deceive them into killing the innocent. Yeah. So they admit they killed the innocent, and they admit that they did it in this shameful way because the devil is wily. Mm-hmm. And one of the arguments that they really had to ham hand into this conversation to get it to fly was, we can't take spectral evidence anymore yeah. because the devil can take the figure of an innocent person. And once they used the Bible and they used the Puritan faith to undermine these arguments, that was the only foothold yeah. they had into bringing it down. And it was the Puritans and the other faithful who did stop the Salem witch trials. It's kind of a metaphorical devil. I don't know how many years ago it was now, but in Denmark, there was this case where uh, kids got sick from Coca-Cola being served in the lunchroom. And then it kind of started happening all over the country of Denmark. And uh, I think they found that there was a slightly elevated level of something that gave the Coke a slightly weird smell, but mm. was nowhere close to enough to make anybody sick. But because people heard the story of kids getting sick, kids made themselves sick and i bet it's right around the same age as this so you know it could be like mm -hmm. you know the seed was planted yeah. with the coffin thing spread through the teenage population because teenagers specific mm -hmm. like young kids specifically are more susceptible to that so oh shit she saw a witch that explains yeah. this weird tingling in my pants that's a witch so that my friend alex malt is the hilf <laughs> of the salem witch trials um 
Any you totally helped the Salem witch trials. I did. I did. <laughs> I, I stoned them. I pressed them. You stoned me. I hanged them. I fucked you them. It. What are you going to say the next time that you go home to Boston and somebody's like, uh, who wants to go up to the Salem village? What are you going to do? Are you going to go? Or you oh, I'm, I'm going to drag them up there and we're going we're gonna to listen to the podcast. On I was going to say I'm going to sit them down and just give them a very dry version and torture them. But maybe we'll just listen to the podcast on the ride up. That's good. Then you yeah, can yeah. just scroll on your phone and drink coffee and be like, right? Instead <laughs> right. of actually having it, to talk to It'll be to them. like, a, <laughs> we should, what we should do is just put on headphones and get there and do like the audio book tour of Salem, oh, you know, like at museum. Like, what are your parents' names? Uh, Brad and Sharon. Hey, Brad. Hey, Sharon. <laughs> this is Don Brody. I have your son here. And if you don't send me $500, I will burn him at the stake. What? You're going to have to press me. You're going to have to press me. <laughs> oh, girl, I've heard that one before. <laughs> oh, Alex, thank you so much for assigning me this bitchin' subject. Thank you, Don. Thank this you is a lot of fun. Thank you for coming over. Let's do it again sometime. Let's please do it again anytime. Which please? Which please? <laughs> well, Alex, Brad, and Sharon, and everyone else who has tuned into this episode, thank you so much. If we can walk away with any consistent lesson from Salem, let it be this. The questions you ask are as important as the answers you get. In two weeks, come back for our Sweet 16 episode, Great Mistakes. It's a very special hilf where I sit down with comedian and longtime Conan writer Brian Kiley. We're digging into some of history's biggest and most hilarious fuck-ups. You don't want to miss it. Before we go, here is a podcast I think you'll love. I certainly do. Check it out. And remember, history's a party and everybody's coming. Hi there, I'm Laurel. And I'm Katie. Two sisters who love talking about history and we are the hosts of Hightailing Through History. In each episode, we surprise each other with a story about the unknown or unusual bits of history that make the past a goldmine of fun. A Chinese sex worker turned pirate queen who had the largest fleet in history. How one of the world's greatest generals was defeated by an army of rabbits. And what real-life person inspired the Mortal Kombat character, Scorpion. History's amazing women, daring escapes, unbelievable rescues, and hey, Canada's maple syrup cartel. In addition to hightailing through different people, places, and events in history, we are also telling our tales, hi, Laurel, our resident stoner, but I prefer boozing. But you don't have to enjoy those things to enjoy our podcast. We've staged you a seat in our smoke circle. Come relax, have a laugh, and enjoy history's weird and wonderful moments as we hightail through history. That's hightailing through history. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. <laughs>